beloved congregation of the Lord, to celebrate the Lord's Supper is a delight to the true Christian. To partake of this holy food and drink by faith in the way that Christ has commanded and to receive the blessing that Christ has appointed for his church, it is something that ought to make the child of God's heart sing. And I think that when you reflect upon the the words that we read in Isaiah chapter 63, some of the great themes that ought to be before the mind of the Christian about to partake of the Lord's Supper can be found there. For example, Isaiah 63, verse 7, Isaiah is brought into remembrance of God's covenant mercies in Jesus Christ. I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord hath bestowed on us and the great goodness toward the house of Israel that he hath bestowed on them according to his mercies and according to the multitude of his loving kindnesses. Indeed, This partaking of the supper, it is our praise and worship offered in gratitude and adoration unto our covenant-keeping God, showing mercy unto thousand generations. I know this as well. Not only the covenant mercies of God, but it should put the Christian in remembrance of his or her identity as a Christian. Verse 8, the prophet writes, For he said, Surely they are my people, children that will not lie. So he was their Savior. I say this, to truly be a Christian, to have God as your Father and Savior is such a glorious thing, to be owned by him as part of his people to be numbered among the children of God who are to manifest the grace of God in their lives in gratitude and submission to his will, living faithfully and not according to deception and lies. This is what it means to be a Christian. We are remembering this today, who we are when we celebrate the supper. But it's this in verse 9 that I especially think should be before us what should be before our minds and hearts when we come up to the table in verse 9 there is quite an astonishing verse one that sets forth both the character of God not only as he is in himself but also as he is to us to truly know God in Jesus Christ this is what we yearn for as Christians. And the means he appoints for us to know him is through his word and sacraments. May the Lord be pleased to use our reflections here upon verse 9 to prepare us to partake of his covenant ordinance of the Lord's Supper by a living faith. Verse 9, In all their affliction... He was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them 
In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them and he bare them and carried them all the days of old. The first thing, congregation, I would draw out from this verse concerning the character of God as he is toward his people is this, the love of God. The love of God. Isaiah here, in order to stir up the faith of the Lord's people, he brings them into remembrance of that episode which we read from the history of the book of Exodus. And you'll remember how it was when the Lord first appeared unto Moses and called him to uh, that mission to help the people there in Egypt. This is what we read in Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 and 9. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. His great mission of deliverance, it was framed by this, the reality of suffering. There were the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the church of the Jews, in captivity under the cruel slave masters there in Egypt, day after day, making their bricks, creating all of these structures and other things for their Egyptian masters, feeling the crack of the whip upon their backs, being denied freedom under a cruel tyranny of a nation that sought to destroy them. The people of God were suffering. The people of God were in agony. They were crying out unto the Lord for deliverance, for generation after generation, pleading that the God of their fathers would hear their prayer. And Isaiah brings us into remembrance to the descendants of those people at a time when they needed to hear it. For Isaiah's audience were in captivity, not in the land of Egypt, but in the land of Babylon. They themselves were in a dark land of paganism and oppression and tyranny. And so he says in Isaiah 63 and verse 9, In all their affliction, he was afflicted. Really a shocking, even a scandalous thing to say of God. Think of this. You know what it is to be hurt. You know what it is to feel affliction. You know what it is to feel agony and to be pressed down by your troubles. And yet here it says that where the Lord's people are concerned, where that apple of his eye, the precious people whom he has set his love upon, he says in all their affliction, he was afflicted. Now in this point, we ought to uh, avoid falling into one of two ditches about this passage. There are some people who would take this and reduce the inner life of God to that of a man or a woman. 
where we are afflicted, what does it speak of but our imperfection, our powerlessness, our helplessness, such things that ought not to be spoken of the everlasting God who is might and strength, who is unchanging in his being and glory. And so we ought not to regard God or think about him as though he were a man. On the other hand, neither should we see these things as mere poetry or mere words, but no, they set before us something that is so precious unto our troubled and weak faith, and that is that the burning love of God is utterly perfect. That which you feel when you see someone in trouble whom you love, say a father, seeing his child in pain, desiring to help that child, there is such an intense love that you would do anything for your child if you are a loving father. So also may it be spoken of God, that which exists in you exists in God in a far different way, in an unsurpassedly perfect way. God does not regard the suffering of his people indifferently. He is not one who is cold towards what we experience. It says in the Psalm, uh, the 103rd Psalm, in the 13th verse, like as a father pitieth his children, So the Lord pitieth them that fear him, for he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. So here we have it. The Lord would have us to know that in the burdens and sufferings that his children experience, he is not afar off, he is not indifferent to it. No, he is with us in the midst of that suffering, and his love abides faithful. Just as his people cried out in their misery and sorrow and affliction in the land of Egypt, so also is the case with all of his chosen people. Where would this be particularly relevant? Well, Christian, perhaps you could give some thoughts to the years before your conversion. Perhaps if you can recognize a time in your life where you did not know the Lord, where you were a slave to your sins, where you were apart from God in the world. And you know that sin and the devil were far crueler masters than even Pharaoh and his Egyptian slave masters. You know that to live for the devil brought you misery. It brought you deeper and deeper into yourself, into your heinous evil desires. It brought shame. It brought hurt to yourself and others. To live in such a way and utterly helpless, piling sin upon sin and guilt upon guilt, shoring up for yourself a certain destruction. There at that time, Christian, was the love of God absent. There in your spiritual woe and misery was the Lord indifferent to you, no. In all your affliction he was afflicted. Such was his eternal abiding love that he regarded you in pity. He regarded you with the kindness 
of a loving Father. Not that we first loved him, but that he first loved us, that he set his love upon us. We had, we had nothing to commend ourselves. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because ye were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out of a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt. If we would apply this spiritually unto the circumstance of the Christian, we ought to see this, not because of anything in you did the Lord redeem you out of that house of bondage of sin, but because of his covenant love set upon you as the Lord sought fit to deliver you into the Lord's kingdom of light in Jesus Christ unto the liberty of the true knowledge of the Son of God. Let's take another instance. Imagine there is the Christian here who is troubled with the knowledge of your sin, who is troubled by your inconsistency and walk of life in this past week. You are uncertain and wavering, though you fled into Jesus Christ for refuge. You do not know for certain that he is your God in Christ. You do not know that his love is for you. You lack that assured, strong faith that can cry out unto him, with the prayer of a child. You are rocked to and fro with your doubts and anxieties. You do not know if you belong here at the Lord's table with his children. Oh, be assured of this Christian that in all your affliction he is afflicted. His love for you, even where you sin against him, even after grace, even in your inconsistency, it is unwavering, it is firm, it is resolute, it is from everlasting, it is strong, it is a mighty tower, it is a place that is the only way to flee for refuge. And if you would look to yourself, you would see much that is unworthy, much that would say that there is no way you could be one of his children. And yet, where you look unto him as the loving father of Jesus Christ, arms welcome to receive you, speaking to you not as slaves, but as sons and daughters of his grace, welcoming you to partake of this banquet of his mercies. And surely you can see that your very doubts and your very temptations, they testify that you are one who needs him, that you cannot live without him. And the supper is, is certainly the place where the weak and the troubled Christian belongs. Yes, if you have not repented of your sin, if you have not believed upon Jesus Christ with your heart, you have no place at this supper. But for the child of God who needs to be strengthened in his faith in the war against ongoing temptation, and such a one is welcomed here. And I would note this third and, and last thing, that these things may be doubted by us when we are going through affliction. 
when we are going through circumstances in our life that are leaving us reeling, problems in family, problems with health, problems with relationships, whatever it may be that the Lord has brought you in, has brought into your life, you may come to question his love for you in such times, but hear this congregation that everything that the child of God endures, it is not from the hand of a cruel God who would destroy you, but a loving father who would refine you, who would correct you, who would conform you unto Christ. Do never, never make the mistake of seeing the afflictions that he brings as that which comes from anything less than a loving and a gracious God. Such things we recognize from what this verse teaches us about the love of God. But I would note this as well from our text, the angel of God, the angel of God. Again there in verse 9, in all their affliction, he was afflicted and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. Well, children, let me ask you this question. What could it be referring to about the angel of the Lord? Well, angels are pretty special things, aren't they? We often think about those heavenly messengers that do the will of God. We think of Gabriel. We think of other angels in the Bible. Is this that kind of angel that God is speaking of here? Well, no. The angel that is here being spoken of is a very unique angel. Maybe you remember that when we were reading about Moses there in Exodus chapter 3, it said in verse 2, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in the flame out of the midst of a bush. That bush that was burning and yet not consumed. Well, a moment later in that same chapter, it says that it was God who spoke. And Moses, he hid his face from the God who spoke. So on the one hand, he's the angel of the Lord. On the other hand, he is the Lord himself. A mysterious thing. Later on in that same book of Exodus, It speaks of this angel in this way in chapter 23 and verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way, to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. The angel of the Lord, he has the name of God in him. He is the one who will lead the people through the wilderness, Moses says. The prophet Malachi speaks of this angel or messenger, same word in the Hebrew in his third chapter of his prophecy. Verse 1, behold, I will send my messenger or angel, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger or angel of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Read that prophecy, read that verse in its context. And it is a testimony of the coming one, the Lord Jesus, spoken 
there as the messenger of the covenant, the one who is as the Messiah at the same time, very God of very God come into his temple in his earthly ministry. We put these things together and we say that the angel of the Lord spoken of by Isaiah is none other than the Lord Jesus in his pre-incarnate state. He is the eternal son of God who has been sent by God as a messenger, as an angel, but not a created angel, but an uncreated angel as the divine angel or messenger of God, of whom the apostle writes in John 1, verse 18, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. And so it is that the angel of the Lord is spoken of here, the Son of God in his pre-incarnate state, But what is it that the prophet speaks of in particular, where he says the angel of his presence saved them? Well, the first thing to notice is that very name, the angel of his presence, literally the angel of his face. Here we have a personal divine angel, the son of his love, eternally in the bosom of the Father. He has redeemed his people. And in particular, it is speaking of that occasion there at the Red Sea. And children, surely you know this well. You know that when Moses was sent there to the land of Egypt, Pharaoh did not really want to give up the people of God without a fight. Did he? Moses, he came and he said, let my people go. But time after time, Pharaoh refused. And so plague after plague rained down upon that poor people of Egypt for the stubbornness of the king of Egypt until finally Pharaoh was done and said, I would have this people leave Egypt once and for all. And so this great mass of people, they left the land of Egypt, left the house of bondage, and they followed Moses there to the Red Sea. But then Pharaoh had other thoughts. A spirit of hardening took such hold of him that he knew he would destroy that people of Israel there by the Red Sea, he gathered up his army and his chariots, and he marched upon the Lord's inheritance there by that body of water. And what happened? Well, in Exodus chapter 14, verse 10, we see that history. And when Moses drew, when Pharaoh rather drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there was no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is it, the, is it this, the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. 
terrified. They saw that approaching army and said, Surely the Lord has broken his promise. Surely we must die in the wilderness. Surely it would be better to serve the Egyptians. Such can be the temptations of the child of God under our own trials, under our own temptations, to forsake and doubt the grace and the love of God. What was it that God spoke through his servant Moses? Verse 13, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and he shall hold your peace. So it is that great wind blew upon the waters, dividing the waters, so that these two great walls stood erect on either side of the people, making a path for them to walk. As we followed Egypt through the Red Sea, you have that testimony of what the angel of the Lord was up to at that time. Exodus 14, verse 19, And the angel of God which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all the night." That long trek through the Red Sea and went from night. And there was the angel of the Lord appearing behind the people, keeping the Egyptians in darkness and staying them from any kind of, uh, of uh, chase that they would make to the people of God while also illuminating the path of the people by night. It was the angel of the Lord who led that people through the Red Sea. It was on that birthday of the old covenant people of God when God led his son Israel out of Egypt. It was there that the angel of the Lord was the instrument of their deliverance, redemption, and salvation. Note what Isaiah says about this in particular. Back to verse 9 of Chapter 63, in love, in his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. Here is this mighty angel of the Lord, the second person of the Holy Trinity, his love and his pity towards that ungrateful, sinful people so quick to profane the name of the Lord, yet he showed mercy in protecting them all the way through that Red Sea until the last person emerged on the other side and the enemy followed after and the water came crashing down to destroy the Egyptians. Such was that amazing deliverance of the people of God and who among us congregation can reflect upon these things but that we see their greater fulfillment in what the Lord Jesus has done under the new covenant. He is the mighty divine angel of the Lord. He as the very angel of the Lord's presence. He has come in our flesh. 
And he has brought about a greater exodus, a greater deliverance from a greater enemy that the world has ever known. He has crushed the head of the serpent, the head of the devil. He has triumphed over all principality and power through his bloody death on the cross and through his resurrection and might. He has delivered his people from the kingdom of darkness. And this he did as the messenger of God, his father, out of that eternal love, that covenant love, which he has set upon the likes of you and me. John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but of everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Neither let us forget that not only through power and not only in love did the Lord Jesus redeem us, but also through a great price. Matthew 20, verse 28, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. The ransom, the payment of a just price for the deliverance of slaves. This was the cost of our salvation congregation. This is why we could go free and know the liberty of the Lord and the deliverance from the tyranny of the wicked one. And that is because the ransom price was paid unto God by his father in in order that the prisoners would go free. The Son of God has saved us. He has saved you, Christian. Will you not rejoice in this great salvation? Will you not cause your heart to well up with joy and adoration and worship at the sight of what? The angel of the Lord's presence, the Son of God, has done through this great deliverance. In his love and in his pity for you, he was willing even to endure the cross and despise the shame, willing even to pour forth his blood and to have his body broken, to be raised up as a curse in order that we would be declared the righteousness of God. Let us look upon Jesus Christ and him crucified. And let us look upon this one who rose again to great glory on the third day, remembering that in this lies all of our salvation.